Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory coming at you on a Monday because we are too jam-packed with all kinds of draft content because the draft is on Thursday. I cannot believe it. Maddie Lane is with us already. So is Craig. Maddie, how excited are you to get to Thursday? Man, I'm ready. Unlike you and some others, the speculation season is not for me, Kent. My brain can't take it. I don't want to talk about what-if scenarios on what the juice could look like a week from now. I just want to know, and I want it to not be stupid. Craig? Yeah. How you uh, doing? I, I, I just found out just now that the draft was on Thursday. I, I got some <laughs> stuff to do. I got some stuff to – no, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm ready to get it, uh, get it going and – Rather than trying to project who the Chiefs are going to take, I'm ready to talk about the players that the Chiefs have. That's going to be great. talk. Craig mistakenly, jokingly, half-seriously told us that the draft was going to last about three hours on Thursday night. <laughs> the first cute. round was going to be about three hours, and it was just the picture-perfect... Aww, moment. <laughs> it's just it's just wishful thinking. I want to get in and out of that radio station. I'm happy to be on it, but what you don't want to hang out with me and Bink for more than three hours? Like, what's up with that? No, that's great if we're sitting around the table without microphones in our face. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're gonna. It's gonna be really fun to watch you kind of experience the live radio thing uh-huh. uh, because I'm so experienced at this point, guys. But I'm gonna go buy just, a bunch of rare and exotic beers and just send Craig pictures and videos of me popping the top <laughs> and then pouring them down the sink as I drink Jameson. So mad! I will be so mad. <laughs> oh, I, that kind of needs to happen now. That would be really funny. Uh, I, I'm here for it. Um, yeah, so if you guys don't know, me and Craig will be joining Jay Binkley uh, on 610 Sports Radio, and we are going to cover the entire first round. We are incredibly excited to do it. It will be a lot of fun. Uh, the schedule this week's kind of crazy. Obviously, you're listening to The Laboratory early. It's on Monday. The draft show will be releasing Wednesday morning. Uh, on th- Wednesday night slash Thursday morning, you'll be able to listen to Arrowhead Pride's pre-draft show uh kind of getting you ready uh for the draft and then the live coverage on thursday i believe when the chiefs make the selection and we you know kind of spend the you know the rest of that show talking about it you'll be able to find that conversation um on on the arrowhead pride uh, channel also this is where it gets crazy so not only do we have all of that going on but then we're going to do a show on Friday night after the draft is over. We're going to do a show on Saturday after the draft is over. So you're going to get our reactions in pod format for every day of the draft. And then on Sunday, we are back in the station, uh, me and Pete, and I think 
Binkley or Barber or someone, we're all going to be reacting to the to the entire draft on Sunday. So you're going to get all kinds of podcast content uh, at the Arrowhead Pride channel. If you want to give that thing a five star review, that would be great. Uh, if you appreciate all of the uh, all the content you're about to get, that would be wonderful. Would appreciate that. Uh, and also, guys, you still have a week to to purchase the KC Draft Guide. You go to gum.co/slash KC Draft. And you can get the KC Draft Guide in preparation for the biggest the the draft missed week. I mean, it is draft misses upon us, fellas. So don't get caught with your uh, pants down, talking. guys. You I, I am done guide. talking. You need the guide. You don't want to be caught with your pants down. You got to know who the Chiefs are drafting when they do. You can flip to it in the guide, see anything and everything about them that we have. This is going to work from rounds one through round seven, most likely. There's so many names in there. So much work. Be prepared. Have your pants, your belt, everything ready. That's what the KC Draft Guide provides for you. What do your pants have to do with anything? Explain. No, don't don't, don't explain. Down, <laughs> don't, okay. don't, don't explain. I don't want. I don't think I want to know. What? So what we're what we're gonna do today is we are gonna break down by position the players that we think will be off the board at twenty nine and kind of debate some of the. Uh, the key players, the the pivot players, almost the the swing players, if you will, that can kind of determine you know what kind of players could be available for the Chiefs. So we're gonna do we're gonna go position by position and kind of talk about that. Then we're gonna talk about ba- basically the pools of players that we think will be available at three key trade up spots. But we're gonna start with the offense today, fellas. Um, the locks, I think everybody has a pretty good feeling that before the Chiefs pick at 29, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, and Drew Locke will be off the board. I think there's two parts to the swing player, and that's Daniel Jones. If Daniel Jones goes off the board at six, Ooh. like some people feel might be happening because reportedly, according to Charles Robinson, He's very he's very heavily hinting that the New York Giants have Daniel Jones as their QB one. The the quote was just, yeah one team has Daniel Jones as their QB one and you all know exactly who it is. <laughs> it's so good. If if the run on quarterback starts with Daniel Jones at six, then four QBs are going, and it is going to be absolutely perfect for the Chiefs, Craig. I mean, I it feels like it should should Daniel Jones actually be a lock in this list? Should there be four? I I think in in my mind, I think there's four quarterbacks going in the first round. Now, one of those four may happen at pick thirty, just after the Chiefs. If if the Packers are interested in a guy to replace Aaron Rodgers going forward, they they've put up some smoke signals about that. So. I think that there's fairly securely four going in the first round. Like you said, if the Giants gamble early on Daniel Jones, a player that I like, I, I think Daniel Jones is a good, good quarterback. I think he's going to be fine in this league. But if they go with him early, then yeah, there's going to be a run, a rush to the podium to get to Haskins and Locke. We might, chaos. Chaos. If Daniel Jones goes six, we might see a fifth quarterback sneak into the first oh. round. Could you imagine Tyree Jackson? Uh, man has some people a are saying Will Greer. Will Greer? I, uh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, what, please, do you, what do you? Please. What do you think, Matt? I my mind will be blown if there's even consideration for a fifth quarterback. This is Davis Webb all over again, <laughs> getting that 
round one hype, and then he goes like mid round three, and everything. Like, well, that was anticlimactic. That's what they're dealing <laughs> with with that fifth quarterback here. But I'm with you guys. I think Daniel Jones is a lot to go in the first round. And, like, yeah, I think if he goes at six, it's going to throw a monkey wrench into the entire draft of what everybody thinks. But worst case scenario, he falls to 17, and guess who picks again? The Giants do. Whether or not they have him as QB1, they seem to like him on some level. And even more than just the Giants, the word around the NFL is that just NFL teams, people that have been in the NFL before, we've been hearing it from Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, this whole offseason, NFL teams like Daniel Jones more than media scouts, than Twitter scouts do. Whether they, it's because they get to talk to him, whether it's because of his coach, who his coaches were at Duke, I'm not sure. But people in the NFL, according to people that have those real connections or have been in the NFL, claim that the NFL likes him more than we do. So what you can't really keep arguing with it from where we stand. I think Daniel Jones is a lock. He's a quality quarterback on his film, so if you're a quality quarterback, the chances of going around one seem to be pretty high most years. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, I'm kind of leaning towards just making him a lock with this. I think four are off the board, and I think they're all off the board before a key point for the Chiefs, uh, that 18th pick. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, actually, in several minutes, uh, we're we're gonna do it at the end of the show, and oh, Maddie's got a lot then? to say. <laughs> yeah, Do I get exactly. to talk about Porter Gustin before then? Oh uh, no. Porter Gustin has made his sixth straight appearance on the show. <laughs> okay, the uh, the running back position, I don't think there's any locks to go in the first round. I think Josh Jacobs has a chance to do it. Um, and, I mean, the, the only thing is, I think the only time that Josh Jacobs, his selection really comes into play for the Chiefs is if they're staying at 29. What do you think, Matty? Yeah, I don't think there's any chance that he's getting up ahead of kind of like we're talking about these key points. I don't think he's going to go in the top 20 in this draft. At best, you're looking at Oakland with one of their 220 picks, maybe Philadelphia at 25, I believe it is, but they just made that trade for Jordan Howard. So in reality, I I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick. I don't think his production and usage is just going to match what everybody's looking for. But if he is the number one running back, if a team really does like him later on, then, I mean, he's the guy it's going to be. I just I can't see it at this point in time. He's not. His usage and production just wasn't enough in college for the NFL. Yeah, agreed. And then it falls off a major cliff after that. There, there's not anybody really even pushing Josh Jacobs for running back one in this draft class. He's the guy, and he's going to be the guy. And then he's just going to, you know, then there's going to be a drop-off for a little bit there. So he he may sit around for a little bit just because there's nobody really challenging him for that spot. And he's not so head and shoulders above, you know, other running backs that we've seen coming out recently. I genuinely hope that the Raiders select Josh Jacobs. They're the team I could see doing that because they have so much capital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, John Greedon seems like a guy that wants to commit to the run game. Am I right? <laughs> well, uh, he makes sense there, given, like Craig said, the picks and the simple fact that they don't really have anybody mm-hmm. that can be that bell cow. So yeah. the pick makes sense. And, I mean, we're in a world where Rashad Penny can go in round one, so I do suppose anything is oh. possible. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I rewatched the draft the other day, the I Rashad Penny why. draft. I, yeah. I love, wa- I love rewatching drafts. I still like it. It's just, it's, it's the same reason that, you know, draft day, the movie's a thing. It's because there's just some level of, like, I love 
anything about the draft process, even if I know it's going to happen. And even if it's a terrible movie, I can't wait for Therese and Charles Robinson to break down draft day movie like they said they're going to. That is going to be must listen for me. We should just start podcast breaking down drafts of years past. Oh, no. We should just break down the 2014 NFL draft. Okay. Let's not go that far, Sparky, unless you want to talk about the 2017 draft. Okay. Man, I don't watch them. This is all you. I I would never watch an old draft. You're missing the point. You just don't get it, Maddie. Wide receiver, I think there's one lock. And it's DK Metcalf. I still think, but despite all of this and all these, all this buzz and all this stuff, I think DK Metcalf is going in the first round. I think, kind of the critical swing players. I think you're looking at Hollywood Brown. I think you could. I think AJ Brown could be an impact on the Chiefs positioning at 29. Maybe Nikhil Harry. I think it kind of just depends on how early the run starts on wide receivers. I think that's a big piece of this. Maddie, when do you think the run on wide receivers start? I feel personally attacked that you would consider <laughs> Nikhil Harry as an impact or swing player in this situation, and yet you do not mention my son, Hakeem Butler, <laughs> in the same vein despite being a superior player. I knew this was going this way. But like this okay, I Maddie, I like I I I I'm a big fan of Hakeem Butler, like you. However, is the NFL? Are we sure the NFL? We hear people saying that like that uh, Hakeem Butler is more of a a of in play at sixty one than he is at twenty nine for the Are we NFL. Sure that the NFL likes in Keel Harry, who can't run away from me. Uh, I heard. Here's another nerdy thing about my pre-draft week process. I listened to a lot of pre-draft press conferences across the NFL. I did. And I can't remember who it was. Maybe Steve Kime, which so take this for a great assault. Can, can we need to have a talk about your free time usage? <laughs> it was in fact Arizona. Continue. Oh, okay. See? Okay. So you, Maddie knows too. Maddie did the same thing I did. Uh, that's, uh, that's a verifiable fact. In fact, he's listened to all 32 teams, pre-draft press conferences. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but it's definitely a fact. So Nikhil Harry, I mean, like, I, I feel like hey, the league's higher on Nikhil did, Harry. Where than does Arizona Butler's. draft? 33rd. Oh, okay. Is that the first, second round? No, but that's his draft range. I think Nikhil Harry could be in play four picks beforehand, five nope. picks beforehand. Nope. nope. It's not allowed. No. 33 or worse. That's the way this okay. works. Okay. No, this thing is derailed way. very quickly. Where where does the run start, Maddie? <laughs> Kent, because you were supposed to let me just make my comment about Hakeem Butler and then move on, but instead you were trying to argue with me about Inkeel can't separate from anybody, Harry and Hakeem Butler, and this is not gonna. No, all right, the run's gonna start. Depends on where DK Metcalf goes. If DK Metcalf lasts later in the draft, like some people are projecting, if he gets to the late teens, early twenties and a team that has started to get their sights set on wide receiver, and that also means that more defensive players or offensive linemen are going before then, you could see a run late in the first round. You could see guys like Metcalf, then Hollywood Brown, A.J. Brown, Hakeem Butler all go in the first round if Metcalf lasts that long. Now, the difference is if Metcalf goes in the top 10, the run, you don't know when it's going to start. Then teams aren't getting their hopes up for when they're going to get this receiver. They're not just missing out on D.K. Metcalf. They're going to wait. They're going to play their board with whatever it's going to be. So I really think that if little stuff like that does matter, 
And the more receivers that go, the more likely you are going to see more of them continue to go. That's the way the draft works. It's done in runs. It's not everybody just doesn't just leave a position alone when their guy gets taken. A lot of teams will reach for their next guy up at that position if that if that position pool is getting pretty lacking. Yeah, I, I'm with Matt on that entirely. But I need to touch on a couple things here. First of all, now that Hakeem Butler is Matt's son, I have gone ahead and claimed Ed Oliver. Second of all, <laughs> now, now I'm figuring out why you guys think that I'm some sort of wizard that has a lot of things on his plate because y'all just literally sit around and listen to other teams talk. Like, <laughs> I spend that time. This was, this was doing my Saturday night. Life skills. That was my Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah, no, I sit around doing life skills, and I, I, I figured no it out. No wonder you're a renaissance man. I figured man. it out now, guys. I figured it out. I was I was just whittling a small bear from my child's bedroom hey, last night. Hey, I, it was a fox. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think it really does hinge on, on DK. I know we've heard a lot about Hollywood. I think that Hollywood is going to maybe be that second guy off the board that, that does start the run. I think he's going to be the... the the pivot point for the rest of these guys because after he's gone then everybody's going to jump like maddie said to try and get the next guy on their plate because yeah there, there's going to be a run i think so and some some people think hollywood brown's going to wind up being the first receiver off the board and and this is kind of what i wanted to get to this next is just like hollywood brown feels like there's some strong connections i know therese has been running with hollywood a lot lately i think a couple other people have jumped on that bandwagon as well um okay so Brett Veach, one of the guys that he wore Andy Reid out on was Deshaun Jackson. And I think the probably the best comp for Hollywood Brown might be Deshaun Jackson. So, uh, you know, a guy that weighs under 170, 170 pounds, good route runner, uh, big play potential. I think this is the same kind of guy. So I, I could see the Chiefs liking Hollywood Brown. I don't know how I would feel if the Chiefs selected Hollywood Brown at 29. I think I I'm terrified of a kid that weighs under 170 pounds. There's there's not very many, you know, comps for him and he's coming off Liz Franck injury or Frank or Frank, I don't know. I'm I'm nervous about that. And I know I, some people are 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 less terrified of that, but I mean the dude is small and he's coming off a injury that directly affects his wheels. Yeah. He's he's just there's a number of things that are in line there and yeah he's a good player you watch his tape he's dynamic he's fun to watch but he's a guy that you manufacture touches a little bit for because of his size you don't want him getting lit up because he might break in half and then yeah like <laughs> like like Maddie said and you said I'm. Mean, he he's coming off of of an injury that historically saps athleticism and that's literally the biggest thing that he's got and the major thing that he's got for him going for him as an NFL player so i i would be very very hesitant to go and try and attack him even though he does have speed he's a good route runner he's got pretty good hands i mean uh, there there's lots of reasons to like him i just there's so many off-field things there with his body that I would be very worried about. Let's take a history lesson here. Deshaun Jackson is the singular comp for Hollywood Brown that's been successful. The yeah. only one. 
the one guy. Do you know where the Eagles drafted Deshaun Jackson? Even though Brett Veach wore Second out Reed, Second round pick 49. They did that after trading back twice in the first round. They didn't even take a player in the first round. And Deshaun Jackson wasn't even their first pick in the draft. It was a guy named Trevor Laws. So if we're going to go by the Brett Veach has worn Andy out on a Hollywood Brown type player before, that's fine. If you trade back twice and make another pick before him, I can maybe get on board and see the upside that's there. But if we're talking picking him in the first round at 29, the risk well outweighs the reward that you get from Hollywood Brown when you consider the roster that's already there and this whole wide receiver class as it is. Simple. Uh, we'll talk. Yeah, that was shortish. Congrats. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, I think, is the only lock. I think the one player you keep an eye on is Noah Fant. Uh, let's talk about the tackles real quick too. I think there's four locks. I think Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford, and Andre Dillard are all locks. I think as a kind of swing player in this whole thing, is there a chance that Dalton Risner sneaks in there, Maddie? I think Dalton Risner is a lock for the first round. I think there's just something Woo. about how the NFL feels about him. I don't see it. I don't. I know some people love him. His footwork and just like his overall just like body control tackle scares the life out of me if i'm gonna play it tackle. may not be a tackle though it may not be I, a tackle though he I we could have maybe like snuck him, him into but iowa no, yes you could he has the versatility to play center guard or tackle but i just think the nfl loves his attitude his mentality how hard he works i think they like the trash talk and how he finishes plays it's the kind of guy that the nfl does like a little bit more than people that are looking for negatives and not just positives. So for that reason, I do think Risner's a lot to go in the first round. I can't say that it's going to be before pick 29, though. You, you know what? I, I love Dalton Risner. I, I just absolutely love him. Hi, BJ. Um, I think another guy <laughs> that has a chance to to go off the board here, Yanni Kajust. I, I, I think for a little while there, teams were talking about him as a round one player. I think he could slip in as well, but I do agree that I think that Dalton has a real good shot. I think he is almost assuredly a lock as you know the fifth tackle off the board in the first round. The only thing with Kajust is how how does that injury affect his right, stock? Right, you know, and so like I, I think that I I could see a team maybe like at thirty one, thirty two, trying to get him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and, because I do think he's a talented player. And Veach, but I, Veach claimed four or five going off the board for offensive tackles. I mean, we're talking four or five here, but if they go early, you might see a team reach. That, yeah. Well, I, you could see that. It's kind of the opposite of Risner, just from based on what we've heard coming from the NFL and that teams question his physicality yeah. and his kind of demeanor on the field. And I just I think that's something that offensive line coaches in the NFL in particular really do focus on. Yeah. Like I think you've seen ex-offensive linemen on Twitter or coaches on Twitter have come out and said, hey, Kajus doesn't always play with fire or with passion or physical. And then you watch his film, you're like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. He's really good. But you see these guys connected to the NFL that question that from him. So I just that's that plus the injury have bumped him down where I think he'll go. Not where I think he should go, but where I think he ends up going. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, the interior offensive line. I no, think Garrett, skip it. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think Garrett Bradbury is going to be gone before the Chiefs have a chance to pick him at 29, Ooh. which, thank God. 
You I guys really, do not want to do a podcast with me if we take an interior offensive line I, in the first round. Hey, it would be the most underwhelming selection. At least it's a good football player. But it's still yeah. the value would be absurd, and I would not be happy. And I think we've already talked about this. Um, I think there's a chance. I've seen a lot of Chris Lindstrom love lately. And I've also I've seen some Eric McCoy love. Some people think Eric McCoy might be in that first round conversation too. And this thing, I think this is the kind of thing if, if the run on interior offensive linemen starts early, maybe the chiefs benefit from that. You know, um, Maddie, I, I don't, I, what do you think about Chris Lindstrom? I, I, we're, we're not nearly as high in him. I know. What do you think about Chris Lindstrom? Why would a team want Chris Lindstrom? I think it would be the safety factor, the fact that he and the versatility. He has practiced. He came out and said he has been told to practice taking snaps. He's practiced taking snaps at the Senior Bowl. I think he was even doing it during the season at Boston College. He's played tackle. He's played guard. He's played everywhere. They think he can do everything. He's a safer player. He's going to be good for his own scheme. He's a little bit lighter, but he's decently athletic, so he works better on the move than kind of in a power gap scheme. So I think he just provides a little bit of versatility. He's got solid technique. He's not a bad athlete. He can do a little bit of everything. I just don't know what he does good enough to garner a first-round pick at, as an interior offensive lineman, and that's kind of my big holdup with him. So I think there's enough weaknesses in his ability to anchor or hold up against power and not enough strengths to overcome that for a first-round pick. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about the defensive side of the football right after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with the defensive side of the football, breaking down who we think will be gone almost assuredly by the time the Chiefs pick at 29 and kind of talking about some of those swing players that could really impact who is available to the Chiefs and who's not. I think the defensive side of the football is where there's just a lot up in the air. I think there's three locks, guys. I think Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver, Christian Wilkins are locks based on everything that we're hearing, the swing players are, I think two of these guys very well could be locked for them to be gone before 29. I'm not sure Jeffrey Simmons is going to be available at 29. I would bet against it. I think someone is going to love Jeffrey Simmons and I think they're just going to not be able to pass up uh, Jeffrey Simmons, Jerry Tillery. I think there's a good chance he's available. I don't think Dexter Lawrence is going to be gone either. Maddie, what do you think about that? So I agree. You got your three definite locks. I actually think of your next group, your swing three players. I think two of them are going to go in the first round. Likely at least one, if not both, before 29. The hard part is just picking which one of those three because I have a path for each one of them to still fall. I think Dexter Lawrence is definitely the guy that I'm the lowest on, so I would think he's the first to get cast out. But at the same time, 
Vita Vea had went in the first round. You always have these massive good athletes, and when they come around, the NFL does like them. It doesn't matter if a guy Vita can't Bay. pass rush. They just care that they're big and athletic and they think they can get them to rush the passer. So I could see a team, and maybe it's probably not every team, but a team falling for Dexter Lawrence in that way. So in reality, I mean, you got up to six interior defensive linemen that are going to the top 32 picks. As many of them that we could get before pick 29 is probably the best for the Chiefs. So let's hope for yeah. more of that. But I would say Simmons is probably my best guess on who will fall just because of the injury. That's the bigger thing. Not the character issues, but the injury. The fact that you're going to have to redshirt your first round pick, I do think matters a little bit. Yeah. Q's going. My son is going. And Christian Wilkins is is going as well. The, the player we're all kind of pivoting off of that you want to go is Dexter Lawrence. I, I mean, yeah. I know a lot of Chiefs fans do really like Dexter Lawrence. I, I like Dexter Lawrence as well. I think he's a very good player. I, I wouldn't mind adding some more beef, some more athleticism, but the Chiefs love Derek Naughty. Der- uh, Brett Veach goes out of his way to talk about him every single time he steps to the podium. The Chiefs have a nose tackle that they absolutely love already on the roster, and then they have Xavier Williams. You're not drafting a reserve nose tackle in round one, a guy who doesn't offer very much in the way of pass rush. So that's a guy that you want as a Chiefs fan to go well before 29 because that means another player potentially is dropping to the Chiefs there of those uh, three swing impact players. Guys, I have a take. Oh. <clears throat> oh, the double I would trade up clear. for Jeffrey Simmons. Oh. I would trade up for Jeffrey Simmons. I would do Man. it. Man. Man, I trade up to I twenty. See, I trade up to twenty-one, twenty-two. There, there's so Simmons. many more rumors now that he's not going to be ready at all this year. Like as recently as last year. I, I know. Mean, I, th- I, what week? What week did that come out? I I know. I know. And maybe that's just teams trying to get players to come down. But I mean, it really it's entirely medical checks. If you're getting him from any point of this year, he's an impact player. He's going to go that early. But I I I don't know. I don't know. I, Trading up for an injured player is rough. I he's just so good. He I is. mean, he's easily one of the 10 best clip players in this class. And that dude He's he's special, man. I and I, honestly, his story and the stuff that I mean, Mississippi State has given him awards and other. I mean, they, he's gotten awards for his off-field service, like all that kind of stuff, all the character concerns. It, it's it it was stuff from his past with a ton of nuance to it. I'm not trying to explain away everything. He'll be the first to admit that he made a mistake, but I mean, that dude is is a model citizen right now since his entire existence in college. So um, I'm a huge fan of his as yeah, a player. So I'm doing all the mental gymnastics for this right now because you did <laughs> not leak this one so much. And I think you might have said it, but you did not like just come out and blatantly hit me with this beforehand. So I'm working through the entire process in my head right now. 
I've probably done as much, if not more, work on Jeffrey Simmons than most of people around because he was my position for the draft guide. I actually loved Jeffrey Simmons last year when I saw Mississippi State play. So I watched him over the summer, multiple games. I watched him live. I watched him post. I researched as much as I could into his background and what he's done since being at Mississippi State, all the community work that he does, talking, giving motivational speeches at schools in the area. He does seem like he's really turned around from the incident. I have zero concerns about the character issue. I don't think he's going to relapse into the same thing. I don't think that's how he is. People are going to compare it to the Tyree Kill situation. I don't think it's even the same there. I think Jeffrey Simmons is like actively very much out in front and public about what happened, and he is willing to go out of his way to make other people better based on what he did, rather than, and not saying Tyree Kill hasn't done that, but Tyree Kill is still very much kind of a guy that stays a little bit more to himself. And he's not actively out there talking about it in public to other people to motivate them as much. So from that aspect, I don't care. If I can get into a room with a doctor that says he is going to play by week 10, 11, even the playoffs, this would be something that I could absolutely stomach. It's just going to take a very bold GM to go make that move. Huh. Wonder who that could be. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so here's a quick question you gotta back it up what's your defensive line rotation look like when you make this move and they're all healthy what is your general breakdown of who plays and when I, I don't know I don't care I believe in talent okay, now, get the talent they'll you. figure it out draft the talent but if you're the GM if you're making this move what is your plan you gotta have a plan you can't tell me you don't have a plan uh, I haven't thought that far through it. Okay. All right, I <laughs> I'll, frankly, I'll be real with you, man. I'll be real with you. I just know that uh, I don't have a I don't have a worry about them being able to figure it out. Let's just say that. Would You've you put Chris Jones at defensive end? I would think about it. You, I and would I think, think we, about it. We've talked about this a lot. Like that's something that makes a lot of sense. But I'm I'm not rotationally. Even I'm not rotationally, we're not talking yeah. about full time there. Yeah. I'm just. I just know that that dude is one of the 10 best players in this class. He's disruptive. He's very talented. And he is a blue chip player. And it gives and you flexibility going forward. For Chris Jones, too. It yep. gives you... Fle- I, we've talked about... I mean, yeah, we've talked about maybe moving Chris Jones to end a little bit. Maybe that's one of the ways that they figure this thing out. I just know that dude is one of the 10 best players in this class. And yep. you talk about cobbling together enough disruption to make this thing work he definitely helps you solve that problem yep and that's that's where my head would be at figure it out this is that's the thing i've maybe i should be giving more thought to just as as a full (laughs) layout but figure it out Chris no, Jones, sure. Put Chris gonna, Jones in. Yeah, it. and I'm never going to argue with a person that says just draft the talent and try to figure it out. I was just wondering if you had a plan. So they, no, if a GM no. was trying to come up with the concept. I'm too busy of watching drafting. Steve Kime talk. That is true. Maybe you should have focused on like who's going to play, what percentage of snaps, or something, Kent. Or be like I'm Craig not, and learn I, a life skill. I'm really, learn how I would be that. I would be stressed about it. Learn how to sew clothes. Or whatever. I mean, Craig can teach me a lot of things. You don't uh, sew them; we, you weave them. Can we move to the edge position, please? Yes. We got a lot to cover still. <laughs> Old burlap t-shirts. Nick Bosa is a lock. Josh Allen's a lock. Rashawn Gary, Brian Burns, and Rashawn Gary are all locks, I believe, to go before twenty. He said Rashawn Gary twice. By the way, that's oh, how gosh. much of an enigma he is. Did I? Yeah, that's how much that's of an enigma right. Rashawn yeah. Gary is. Um, I think. 
I think Montez Sweat and Clellan Farrell are the two guys that are going to be the most fascinating. Um, I, I'm going to ask you guys this. I'm going to ask you this, Craig. You haven't got a chance to talk much lately. <laughs> if Montez Sweat is on the board at 29, how do you feel? I'm running to the board. I, I mean, if his heart is fine, like if he's there at 29, his heart is probably worse than we're getting credit for. But that they didn't call him back in for combine rechecks. They let him do all of the drills. They let him do all the position drills, everything like that. They let him do it. So I, I just don't see how it's the same thing as Maurice Hurst. I'm running to the board because he fits Bagnolo perfectly and he offers a little more speed and a raw lump of clay that they can mold into a guy and put out there and actually have a higher ceiling for somebody on the outside. So, Maddie? here's, I don't really have a hold up if Montez Sweat is there at pick 29, let's say, and not trading up for him. Yeah, you're going to make sure the hard thing's figured out because that is probably a little bit of a red flag. But overall, he's exactly what Craig said. He fits the mold. He fits a position of need. He would file right in and probably be the best defensive end even right away. And I'm not even crazy high on Montez Sweat. I think he's still got a little bit to learn as a pass rusher. And I'm not sure there's a super high ceiling there with him with that. But he's going to be a solid player for a long time. And if you get that at pick 29, that fits what you're trying to do. I 100% understand it. Now, I will say this, since we just came off of his Mississippi State brethren, I would take Jeffrey Simmons over Montez Sweat, even with the injury at 29. I I think he's a better player. I do too. And, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. we're all kind of, we're not as high on Montez Sweat as I think the NFL is, but I, I, if, 20, if 26 teams pass on Montez Sweat, and it's 26 because the Raiders and the Giants have right. multiple picks, 26 teams pass on Montez Sweat, I, I, I don't know how I would feel about the Chiefs taking him. Like it's I just feel like that's thing. a big swing. It's it's a but prototype it's, thing. I mean, he it's, he's it's a more sta- about the heart stuff. Like I, right. I I understand, but like the the heart stuff. Like I even if he's there at twenty six or whatever, I'd be a little nervous. Like that still feels like a big swing because a bunch of teams are worried about that heart. Yeah. Okay, what do you think? What do you think the chances of one of Montez Sweat or Clellan Filler being available at 29? Give me a percentage. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 50. percent I'm gonna say that maybe the the heart concern is a is a concern, uh, and I'm gonna say I don't feel particularly confident that Clellan Farrell is on the board at 29. I'm gonna say 50. percent Maddie, what are you gonna say? I'm going to go a little less. I'm going to go 37.926%. Um, <laughs> I do think that the heart condition for sweat is a, the big boomerang here. Like, what's going to happen? You just don't know where this is going to go. Because if it's a Maurice Hurst situation, nobody knew that was happening until it was happening. Mm-hmm. So that's the big holdup. But if sweat is even just only off a couple boards and on most teams, there's no way he's making it in the NFL's right. eyes. And I just think Cleveland Farrell's too good to make it that far. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say 8.78%. Just re- oh, wow. re- really, really low. I, I don't think either one of them will be available. Uh, I'm with Matt. I, I think maybe Sweat's off a couple teams' boards, but not everybody's. And it could be teams like the Chiefs that are he's off their boards, for all we know. So, yeah. There, there's an 8.08% chance that Jalen oh, Ferguson man. has been selected 
by the time Man. the cheese pick. 8.08%. Pellets. I could have gone with 8.08 and I went 878. What was I doing? Yeah. Man. Well, you should have just you know, figured out whatever Montez Sweat's three tone was and used that. <laughs> like seven fast. flat? Fast. Seven flat. It was seven flat. No, seven flat. It's dude's ludicrous. He is. It is an alien. Where was, okay. hey, where was that on the film? Yeah. I know it doesn't, and that's why we're not as high on him as other people. The linebacker position, there's not much to talk about here. Devin Bush and Devin White are basically the only two linebackers in this entire class, and everybody else is getting taken on day three, uh, or should be taken on day three, basically. Maybe Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson's good, but um, when do you guys just give me a guess real quick? When do you think the first linebacker is taken off the board, Craig? Uh, if it's not five at Tampa, it's uh, 11 Cincinnati. All right. You're going to get Detroit, Denver, Cincinnati, Green Bay. One of those four teams, that's picks eight to 12. And one of those teams, at least one of those teams is taking one linebacker. I will say this. I think that if the later the, the linebackers start, the better off it is for the Chiefs potentially. Because, you know, that 10 to 20 range, like if the first linebacker doesn't go off the board till Devin White, and I, I wonder if that actually helps the board kind of position. Like if four quarterback four quarterbacks do go off in the top 15, and then, you know, like like Ed Oliver is appropriately drafted in like the top five-ish, six-ish. If, you know, Rashawn Gary goes in the top 10, 15, like I could see potentially maybe the, the linebackers being drafted late, pushing a, a team that might have been more interested in taking a an edge position player maybe maybe one of those guys kind of falls later because of that so that's one thing i'm keeping an eye on um okay the safety position chauncey gardner johnson i think is a lock i think that's it i think nasir adderley taylor rapp jonathan abram may be in play because everybody's been hyping all three of these guys up like that they're top 29 top 30 players i don't know if i feel right now where we sit today great about any of those maybe Adderley but I think what could happen is if the safety the first safety off the board goes early maybe that's what kind of starts swinging things um Maddie when do you think the first safety goes off the board maybe we're crossing our fingers for a Carl Joseph like thing here we want to see somebody fly off the board with as early as possible that nobody had really thought about because I'm with you. I think Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's your best bet to go in the first round, and I'm still thinking early to mid-20s at the absolute mm-hmm. earliest for him. Seattle seems like an obvious pick, but I think teams like Philadelphia are going to be in the mix. Even Oakland, I mean, they've tried to add some safeties, but LaMarcus Joyner isn't a guy that can do everything at safety. So there's, just, there's options. And here's the thing. I think after you get past Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you got the next guys we have listed here with Nasir Adderley, Taylor Rapp, Jonathan Abram. I think they're all very role specific. Like they are very specific yeah. to one thing. They don't have much like uh, flexibility to play in the slot or deep or in the box. They're good at one thing or the other, and that's fine. They're good players at that, but you can find other quality players at that same thing a little bit later in this draft. That's why I haven't been super wild about going safety early in the drafts for the Chiefs. So that's why the Agreed. only other guy I would even bring up here is Darnell Savage. I do think there's a chance that he is that yearly or maybe bi-yearly surprise safety that creeps up into the first round that nobody saw coming because I do think he has a little bit more versatility and we've already seen he's a superb athlete. So that would be my only other guy to even throw in the mix. Yeah, and I might throw in Juan Thornhill 
just yeah. from the reasoning of being able to play safety corner, you know, kick down in the slot and man cover. Uh, th- those are the type of guys I think maybe like I'm going to go on a little limb here and say that Juan Thornhill goes before Taylor Rapp and Jonathan Abram. Just because... I think, I think that's fair. I think he should probably. I was just kind of speculating right. more on what we've kind of heard the league or right. what we Absolutely. think the league is we, we hear the league yeah. loves Taylor Rapp. We hear the league loves Jonathan Abram. But in reality, the NFL is doing away with that type of player. Like that that type of guy, that enforcer over the middle, the Cam Chancellor type guy, you know, big hits over the middle, blowing people up. That guy doesn't really survive in today's NFL all that much anymore. And that's that's a little now Abram's not just that and Rap's not just that, but that's kind of where people view them a little bit. So I, I don't think that they're gonna go necessarily as high as some think. So yeah, Chauncey at twenty one, and then you're hoping that maybe a team really falls in love with Nasir Adderley and he can kind of push some other players that the Chiefs like down a little further. And I think that, you know, the earliest, the sa- earlier the safety comes off, the better. So, you know, if a, if a safety goes in the teens somewhere, I think that actually could really help the Chiefs and kind of put them in a situation where maybe a run starts on safeties and guys start panicking. And they're saying, oh, we got to go get Adderley. We got to go get Thornhill. We got to get whoever. We'll see where, where we'll see where Thornhill, because like, I agree, like, I like Thornhill better than, you know, I like him better than Rap. I like him better than uh, than Abram too. So it's just, it's just versatility. It's, that's uh, that's yeah. what it is. Well, yeah. cover skills. Like yeah. he's a he's a former corner. Yeah. Should Final, we fi- um, should oh, we move Taylor Rapp to our linebacker group or keep him at safety? I mean, we're close. When I mean, you're that, running a that four seven time. plus, Kaiser White can tell you a little bit about that. <laughs> as 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 bad as the linebacker class is. Oh man. Like, Maybe that is linebacker three. He, he'd be pushing Mac Wilson for that for certain. I mean, Kaiser I mean, White can tell you a whole lot about running a slow 40 and playing in box safety. <laughs> I mean, I just, maybe, maybe like, maybe Jonathan Abram and Taylor Rapp are, are linebackers in this class. Hey, Abram like, can maybe move they just, at least, though. I mean, there's, there's, he can move. Yeah, he Abram can know move. what he's doing, but he can move. Like, if you could just switch either Abram's speed and size or Rapp's Cover brain, skills, though. Like, you would have a great safety that would be worthy of a round one pick. Just unfortunately, Abram can't see anything, and Taylor Rapp is, like, the safety version of Jalen Ferguson. <laughs> Ugh. At least you threw a little Jalen Ferguson sl- uh, slander there. That was nice. Final position, the cornerback position. This is going to be – Maddie has been riding this trade since probably, like – November. Yeah, not quite November, but close. We've been talking about this cornerback class as we've gotten into this cornerback class and looked at it. He keeps saying, and I want I want to give you a chance to talk about because I'm not sure we've actually talked about it on the show. Cornerbacks go off the board earlier, even if the cornerback class isn't good. Like there's like a lot of talk that you know the cornerbacks are gonna go off the board early. They're gonna go off earlier than they're thinking. Even though we look at it, we say. I think there's one lock right now. Greedy Williams or Byron Murphy is a lock. And then the other one is a, a fringe player. You may want to throw in guys like Sean Bunting, um, you know, maybe DeAndre Baker, guys like that are fringe, you know, kind of swing players. Is this going to be a year where it's an anomaly at the cornerback position after we've talked through all this, Maddie? What do you think? Where are we at? Kind of explain some of your, your thought process through this whole thing. 
No, it is not going to be an anomaly year. It just doesn't happen. As the <laughs> NFL goes more and more towards a passing league, coverage becomes more and more important. I think all of these analytical websites, whether you want to use Pro Football Focus or anybody else that charts advanced statistics like that, will come out and tell you their numbers say coverage matters more than anything else on defense now. It's simply the way it is, and the NFL has treated it as such. Cornerbacks get more money than they used to now that they haven't quite caught up to edge players, but they're closing the gap or any pass rushers. Cornerbacks are getting drafted as high as defensive ends and pass rushers. Look just last year with Denzel Ward getting taken over Bradley Chubb and how many people, how some people ripped the Browns for it. But then you had another faction that came out and said, this is the right move. When the play came out, both of them had fantastic rookie years. I don't think Cleveland has any second thoughts about taking the equally rated corner over the equally rated pass rusher. That just, it is more important in the NFL in today's day and age. So with that said, corners are not going to have just one corner go in the first round. I know that's all we want to put there because we want corners to fall to the Chiefs, but someone's going to take a chance on Greedy Williams, who is a picture perfect of an athletic profile at cornerback that you want. He's got all the skills and traits that you're looking for, even if he can't tackle or doesn't want to tackle. He doesn't matter. He's going to cover guys. Byron Murphy has great tape. Rocky Sin has great character and some of the traits to work with. Amani Oyuari, so on and so on and so on. These guys have things you can work with. And when it's something that you can work with and a position that matters so much to the NFL now, you don't wait. Okay, but Maddie, my question specifically for you is, do you think that two are off the board before the Chiefs pick at 29? I want to know that answer. That's a tough one. We are going to say yes, but I don't think it's Greedy Williams and Byron Murphy. I think it's somebody okay. else. I think I think that Rocky Sin mm-hmm. or Amani Oyuorie ends up going before Greedy or Byron Murphy, likely Byron Murphy, because I really do think that Greedy Williams right. is going to go earlier than people think. I think Byron Murphy is going to be the third or fourth corner taken for one of those other two guys. Okay, so here's I'm I'm going to audible Craig. Sorry. Yeah, go. I want to ask I'll, and I'll let both of you answer this. I want to ask Maddie first. Would you sacrifice a run on quarterbacks to ensure that, let's say, Clellan Farrell could be traded up for at twenty one? I would rather have Byron Murphy or Greedy Williams at twenty nine than trading up to get Cleveland Farrell at twenty one. Okay, Craig. Same question. Could you, if you, could you sacrifice all these guys and just so that you you could trade up for Clone Farrell? No, and I'm also the type of person I I am team edge. Like I I think that the Chiefs need to add an edge. I've been pretty strong in that. Even though Byron Murphy's my dude, I want the Chiefs to draft him. I really do. He'd be my favorite pick, but I I, I just I I don't want the Chiefs to sacrifice. All these guys, and part part of that is, if you'll afford me a moment here, I, I asked the question of you guys earlier today. Uh, we I was looking at about the top eleven corners there, and we were talking about how all of these guys had basically gotten uh, some sort of early round two buzz at some point in the process. Uh, Sean Bunting is the bottom uh, of that group right now, and I was asking you guys who on that list. Would you be like uh, seriously upset or shocked if they went in round one? And Lonnie Johnson was really the guy that that we kind of all agreed, just because his tape is pretty poor. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just don't think that the 
the gap between a lot of these guys is so large that the the, the Chiefs want to be sacrificing a bunch of them. Because if they sacrifice a bunch of them, a sacrifice a run on them so that they can trade up for an edge, that means that they don't have any when it gets back around to round two. Because all these guys, if they all at one point have round two buzz, that means you're missing out on them if you have a run on them in the first round. And I would almost rather, if there was a run on them, taking even all the way down to Sean Bunting at that point at 29, which I know Chiefs fans are going to turn their nose up at a little bit, but I, I, I would I would much rather have a situation like that than risking missing out on one, I guess. Yeah, and I think like where we have Sean Bunting ranked in the KC draft guide might surprise some people that we'd probably be okay with a guy like Bunting. It's mostly, I think, there's just a good ceiling to him. Oh, absolutely. He's got great athletic profile, Here. a willing tackler. He's a physical player whose best football is ahead of mm-hmm. him. So he just may not be as you know, close to his, you know, ability to, to contribute at a high level right away. But here's one thing I've kind of, you know, I, I think, I don't know if I've said this on the pod or if I, if I've not, I don't know. Sometimes I think the process leads some players to more rapid accelerated growth in their developmental process. I think some guys that, you know, are finally exposed to good nutrition, good coaching, the mental side of things, all these things, and just extra time to grow. I think some guys just grow up quicker through it. Sean Bunting might be one of those guys where the process has been very good to him and very helpful to him in his development, Mm -hmm. right? Because I don't know if he's been playing cornerback for too long anyways. Right. So you've got a great athletic profile. And yeah, his tape, you know, we we had like a third-ish. Do we have a third-round grade on him? Yeah, we do. Yeah. You were great on, on Bunting. Right. Yeah. But you, I think you might have been higher on him too anyway. But you look at those kind of guys, like Bunting's the kind of guy that the tape you saw in November, December, he might have made a huge jump in the last four months. And I will say And he's one of those guys that the process could benefit. Right. And I will say this of players, tier one athletic testing, cornerback players, uh, the thing that in I put KC together in the KC draft, draft guide, there hmm. have only been two players since 2010 that were tier one testers taken in the first round that were not first team pro bowlers only wow. two one of them is gary and conley like it might just be yeah. a matter of time for him the other one is bradley roby who has been a very good player for a long time i mean yeah both those guys are still good players right. so of those guys if you're looking at sean bunting at 29 History would tell you that you've got a good shot in the past decade. You've got a good shot of getting a player that could be a very good player. Sure. And I I think the path to him being a good player is not hard to see. And like, and I think that's, you know, I I guess this is kind of just turned into us talking ourselves into Sean Bunting. It's not going to be that hard (laughs) for us. Even if the grade says it, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot in there. Right. And, uh, the athletic profile is very real. Grades okay, are some we funny are, stuff. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. Go, Maddie. Sorry, no. Grades are go. funny stuff because I'm the highest on Sean Bunting, and unless five corners are off the board in the first round, I don't think I would want to take him at 29. <laughs> I'm probably the one that wants to take him at 29 the least because, like what Craig was talking about earlier, 
I think the gap between even bunting and somebody that you're going to get at 61, 63 is so minimal. Even if you want to go down to what we're going to call like our third group of corners, our Julian Loves, David Longs, guys like that, I just think they're close enough to Sean Bunting that I would rather not take him at the end of the first round and would rather wait to the end of the second, see if somebody like a Joe Juan Williams falls, something like that. And just on the grades being funny, I probably has been the one that's been the most anti-DeAndre Baker this whole time, who we don't talk about enough on this podcast anymore, because there's a chance he goes in the first round as well, Mm -hmm. even if we don't like him that much. But I also graded him the highest, and I want the least to do with him out of anybody on this out of this group too. So just (laughs) grades are funny that way because that is how it's it's weird how that works. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, the Sean Bunting path to being comfortable with that is if the run happens, yeah, right? It and is. so you're not as confident that when you get around to 61, you're going to get someone that you're throwing Correct. At, right? Correct. And yeah. I think that's where, and I think that's kind of, those are the paths to talking you talking me into Sean Bunting, honestly. Fully agree. So, yeah. okay. We are going to come back after this break, talk about some trade-up scenarios, who we think will be available at some pretty key spots when it comes to trade-ups right after this. So we wanted to talk a little bit and kind of close this thing out, talking about some key trade-up areas and who we think might be available in those spots. So I'm just going to list these all out real quick, and then I'm going to let Maddie, Craig, and, and then I'll kind of close out and give our opinions on what we would do and what we think of these. So we kind of came to the conclusion. We think, you know, people that could be available at 18 where, you know, the Chiefs could use their second round pick. That's even value on the trade chart that you can find in the KC Draft Guide. Uh, A second round pick gets you to about 18. So Clellan Farrell, the edge from Clemson. Byron Murphy, the cornerback from Washington. Um, Simmons from from Mississippi State. Uh, Montez Sweat from Mississippi State. Uh, Garrett Bradbury from from North Carolina State, the interior offensive lineman, and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I think that's your pool at 18. At 21, we restrict it down. We would still guess Clellan Farrell, Simmons, Murphy, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson still available at 21. Your third-round pick gets you to 21. At 29, we think it's Simmons. We think it's Tillery. Jerry Tillery, the interior defensive lineman from Notre Dame. We think a guy like Amani Arawariyes, a guy that could be in play there, a guy like Justin Lane, the cornerback from Michigan State, or Rock Yasin from, from, from Temple. So a lot of those kind of fringe round one, round two corners in some people's eyes. Maddie, with all this information that you have here, what decision are you making? So I just kind of work it in order here. If I'm sitting there looking at pick 18 with those guys available, I'm not giving up a second-round pick. I like that pool of players enough that I think somebody will slide down that I like more. So I put no thought into giving up a second-round pick to go to 18. Pick 21, I still have three guys, Cleveland Farrell, Jeffrey Simmons, Byron Murphy, I all like. We're eight picks away now, so it's getting a little dicey to only have three guys I'm super high on left, but I think I would still let it ride at this point if I felt there was a chance that one of them would slip to 29. So I'd probably still let it roll. And we got to pick 29. Jeffrey Simmons was the last of those three. So that's who I would end up here in this scenario. Now, in hindsight from this position, though, I would trade up my third round pick to go to 21 and take Cleveland Farrell or Byron Murphy. I'd probably flip a coin because I love both of them pretty much equally. I think I'd lean Murphy because coverage is a little bit more important. 
But with all three of them there at pick 21, I don't know if I would make the move in real time without knowing that they're coming off the board for sure. Yeah, and Brett Veach talks a lot about the pockets in the draft. And looking at the pockets, maybe at the pockets of value there at 18, you you can look at that and say, oh, I don't, I don't need to give up a top you know 65 asset in order to find a guy if I can wait and give up you know, pick number 92 to try and catch one of these dudes in this pocket of value. But like Matt said, at 21, if you had four guys there that you conceivably thought was a good fit for you and you had to wait another eight picks, nah, I'm making that move up. I'm drafting one of those four guys. I'm probably taking Byron Murphy as well, even though I think that Cleveland Farrell would be a major asset on this team. This this team just doesn't have any cornerbacks on this roster really worth a whole lot after this year. So I said earlier I'd trade up for Jeffrey Simmons. I'd trade up for Cleland Farrell more. Uh, I think in this scenario, I'd give up my third-round pick for Cleland Farrell. I love the player. I think he's also one of the 10 best players in this entire class. I know his testing has limited his opportunity or, or his lack of testing is, is kind of kind of kept a veil over over some of, you know, some teams opinions potentially on him and that might be why he's falling, but he's a fantastic interview, high character player. He's got the, the prototypical size and uh, I I think he's one of the 10 best players in this class too. So I think I would move up for Clellan Farrell knowing that I'm going to be able to get his productivity for an entire season. I do it for Simmons too. I think about it with Simmons too. I like both of those players a lot. I like Byron too. Like this is a tough spot. I like all the players that are available at 21. I would be thrilled if the Chiefs could pull that off. And the reason I say 21 is because the Seattle Seahawks want more assets. They are clearly they don't they only have four in this class. So you could give them an extra third to move back to 29. Um, I think the Seahawks and the Ravens are very much in play to trade up. So those are two spots I'm keeping an eye on. But I'd move up for Clone Farrell. I might have to be more aggressive again in the second round with those two second round picks to try to go get a cornerback and ensure. I think you could do this, you know, the same way that the Chiefs did that Cincinnati Bengals where what with the Bengals where they took they traded two picks to move up and move back with both of them. I think the Chiefs could do that very easily too. You could kind of turn it into like a the 50th pick in the draft. Just take whatever cornerback is available there at like 50. So that's that's what I would do. Uh, guys, we will talk to you after the... Uh, we'll talk to you at the AP Draft Show on Wednesday. There's going to be a lot of coverage this next few days uh this entire week you're going to be able to find so much on the arrowhead pride podcast network uh and we are so excited for the draft to finally be here we will catch you all on wednesday Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.